Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord be with all of you today as we worship. Whether in this sanctuary or in the Family Life Center or at home where you may be worshiping uh, online. I want to welcome you into this time of study. Now, in preparation for the sermon today, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to two places. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're making our way through 1 Corinthians in this series. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And then also hold that place and find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll get to that in the heart of the sermon in just a moment. So now, if you'll join me in a word of prayer, we'll prepare the heart and mind for a time of study. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts simply be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray that you will now bless the words that proceed from my mouth as we together attempt to interpret your sacred word so that in hearing, we may never be the same. Amen. Amen. So a little more than a year ago, we were traveling through North Georgia and I decided to take my my boys, my sons, to the house where I grew up, to my childhood home where I was formed and shaped and deformed and reformed for 20 years until I moved away and never returned. We went to this house, and it wasn't the first time we had driven by. Most of the time in years past, we'd simply driven by, hey, guys, that's where I live. We know, we've heard the story, you know. This time we stopped in front of this house, this small house that for years looked palatial to me. It's funny how that works, isn't it? We pull up in front of the house, and I look, and I'm telling stories. I'm regaling the boys with stories, some of which were actually true, (laughs) of things that had happened in that yard and on that house and in that house. And over here is where there was this tree, and it hung over the the, the street, and it was beautiful. Over here is grown up, but behind that used to be a wall where we would do this thing and the other. And and we're talking, and something in me decided, you know, I want to go a little little deeper. I want to take them behind the house and show them where we played baseball until the sun went down and where we buried a treasure and where we had hidden some some treasure troves, some time capsules in the yard. And so I decided to get out and I knocked on the door. And a woman came to the door. She is the only person who has lived there in the last several decades now since we had moved away. I said, I don't want to disturb you or be an inconvenience to you, man. But uh, listen, I grew up in this home. I grew, grew up in this house. And she interrupted me and she said, are you the King family? I said, yeah. 
And she said, oh, I've heard all about you. See, the neighbors around had told all kinds of stories. And I said, well, I don't want to interrupt you, but do you mind? Can I take my sons behind the house? I just want to show them some things that, that we did and what, what life looked like back there. And she said, well, would you like to come inside? And I said, seriously? Are you? Yeah. I mean, that would be, yes, I would. And we went inside, and I cannot describe to you the tsunami of emotions that came over this heart. I mean, I began to tear up, and the boys saw me, so I choked it back down, you know. Because over here was, was where this thing happened, and back over here is where we had that conversation. And, and the, 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 the air was, was thick with story and experience, and it's, it's like breathing in the same air that shaped and formed me into who I was, and I can't tell you every place I looked, and, and there's the burnt orange carpet and the wallpaper and, 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 and the crack in the fireplace that can be seen from the wall on the other side in the bedroom, and, and I said, man, did you know that beneath the carpet right here is, there was this, this space heater, and at night, sometimes we'd forget, and we'd step on it, and we'd burn our, our feet, and, and that's where I was at four years old when I put a, a yellow Tonka truck on it, and it melted all into the coils and made everybody mad, and over here was this doorpost, see, and it's painted nicely now, but it used to have these marks that measured how we were growing, and and over here is where we had this yellow table, a circular table, where, where there was this cigarette mark on the top that wouldn't go away. And, and that's where we sat down and had conversations about things that filled us with hope and with hurt. And I, I can't tell you what it felt like, but I wanted my boys to see what I was seeing. But all they were seeing was this old house. What they couldn't see was what I was seeing and what I wanted to do. I wish I could explain to you the depth of this desire for me to give them my eyes so they can see what I was seeing. You know what I really wanted was like on my phone, I wanted like this app that had the technology of, you know, augmented reality. You know, augmented reality, right? With like these, these social media where you can put like, you hold your your phone up and it can put like animated things and you can show things that aren't really there, but they're kind of there if you look through this kind of lens, this app. Like, like on Pokemon Go, kids, if you play Pokemon Go, you can hold your camera up, right? And you can see the, the yard, the street, but the, you can see this animated addition, things that you can't see with the, the naked eye or, or, or maybe, maybe like Ikea. You can go to Ikea, the app right now, and you can, you can look at this piece of furniture and you can hold your phone up to this place in the room where you're thinking about putting the furniture to actually see what it looks like. I mean, the chair's not there, but through augmented reality, you can see what it might look like. Or you, or you could go to a city and hold up your phone and you can see, well, over here is a, a restaurant and here's a coffee shop and you could read reviews of it before even going in. And I wanted the boys to see this isn't just an old house with creaky floors. It's a place that is filled with story and experience and hope and hurt that shaped me. And you, but you can't see it because augmented reality means that you, there's one way to see reality, but to see augmented reality, you have to have a different set of eyes. And Paul knows that this group of Christians meeting in a little city called Corinth, he knew that they had a set of eyes to see reality. He knew that their 
worldview, the way they see life was shaped by the culture that was around them. In fact, that gave Paul anxiety because Paul knew that the way they viewed life, their worldview, their reality was shaped more by the, the, the themes and the patterns and the, 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 the virtues and values of the culture more so than it was, well, shaped by Christ. And it filled him with anxiety. And I've been saying to you for a couple of weeks now that you know that any church, not just Corinth, but any church in any age, if you forget your calling to be the salt and the light in a thirsty and darkened world, well, then it's easy to be enticed and even enchanted by the easy ethic of a culture around you so that your vision blurs and you tend to forget who you are and how you are supposed to exist in this life. And Paul was anxious because he was seeing that they were ordering their life in a way that was not in any way different than the life of those who did not believe. And he said, there is one lens through which you are to see life. There is one filter. There is one kind of technology, an app through which you see life, and it is the cross of Jesus. And when you see life through the cross of Jesus, well, the cross of Jesus is not simply to provide eternal life for you after death, but it's meant to be a way of life for you before death. And Paul, all through the 1 Corinthians so far, has been calling them to live a cross-focused, cross-centered, cross-shaped life. And this way of the cross, this cruciform way, that's what cruciform means, is a cross-shaped life. In, in many ways, although Paul didn't have the language to use, I think if he had a smartphone with lots of apps on it, he might even say that on the cross of Jesus, God augmented reality once for all. Once for all people and once for all time and once for all sin, Christ on the cross has augmented, given us a different lens through which to view and do our lives. And once you see the cross, I, I mean really see it, once you see it with, with the eyes of your heart, you can never see anything the same again. See, the cross, it changes reality. Because the message of the cross, well, it seems foolish to people who think they're wise. And the message of the cross, it seems weak to people who think they're strong. Because the cross subverts and and turns upside down every reality that you and I grow to expect to see in this life, whether you live in Corinth or Alpharetta. The cross is the augmented reality of God. So, he speaks to them and says, fix your eyes upon the cross. Because if your eyes are fixed upon the cross, it alters how you view and do everything every relationship, every decision, every business venture, every relationship you have, every argument you resolve, every new vision that you pursue, the cross augments what reality really is. In fact, I just want to do something for a moment here. I'm going to ask you, what do you see? 
when you look at the cross? I mean, is it, is it decoration? Is it jewelry only? Is it pretty? Is it grotesque? One of the most beautiful expressions of the crucifixion is by Matthias Grunewald. In the late 1500s, early 1600s, take a look at what's called the crucifixion. It's an altarpiece that was prepared and painted for the chapel of the hospital at St. Anthony's Monastery. Can I just get you to look at that for just a moment? What do you see? Do you see strength or weakness? Do do you see wisdom or foolishness? Do you see winning or do you see losing? In In fact, let's take a closer look an even detailed look of Christ upon the cross. And I just want to, for a moment, in the context of worship, sit and gaze upon the Christ. What do you see? You may find it interesting to know that every monastery, just keep the picture up for a moment, every monastery was typically known for something they were good at producing. Some monasteries produced wine. They were known for their wine. Some monasteries produced cheese. They were good, known for the cheeses that they produced. Some coffee and so on. Some monasteries had hospices and hospitals. The monastery at St. Anthony had had a hospital, and in the hospital, a chapel, which is where this altarpiece was originally placed. But the hospital had a specialty too. Just like around here, we know that particular hospitals focus, specialize in particular ailments and conditions. The hospital at St. Anthony's is specialized in a skin disease called ergotism. It was a painful, dreadful skin disease that was excruciatingly painful. And Grunewald, when commissioned to paint an image of the cross and the crucifixion of our Lord, depicted our crucified Lord with the skin condition ergotism. If you look closely, you'll see on his skin the sores, the rash, So that if there was by chance some beleaguered patient who could muster the strength to go to the chapel and fix their eyes upon the cross, what they would see when they fixed their eyes upon the cross is an augmented reality to what they were feeling and experiencing in their desperation and isolation because they would see in the cross of Jesus the demonstration of a God who refuses to not be in solidarity with their suffering. That the cross of Jesus Christ was a demonstration of God's ultimate power, but the strangest, most augmented reality of all is that God's power is demonstrated in suffering love. Where you are able to to be in solidarity in all of your desperation and loneliness and, and isolation and despair 
Because Christ demonstrated solidarity with humankind. And if you, the problem is you and I have the same struggle with the cross that the Corinthians did. That's not how you define strength. It's not how you win. That's not what is strong. We kind of want a Jesus that kind of kicks a little booty. We want a tough, macho Jesus. We want a Jesus that's muscle-bound and doesn't take any lip off anybody. That's the Jesus we want. We struggle with the image of a God who would be suffering. This is the scandal of the cross. And the trouble is, i got to tell you, I, I heard one pastor speak about the weakness and strength of Christ. And, and I won't mention his name because I think, I think we live in an age where too many leaders call out other leaders in a way that is negative and doesn't help anyone. But I want to share something that he said. He's a well-known pastor, and he got in a little hot water over that. I don't know if you know, but sometimes pastors can get in a little hot water by things they say in some places, somewhere else. But and this, this pastor said, you know, I, I can't follow a weak Jesus. Now follow what I'm saying here. I can't stand, his words, an effeminate, limp-wristed God. He said, I follow a God, then he goes on to grotesquely misinterpret the book of Revelation. He goes on to say, like in Revelation, Christ shows up like a, like a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg and a sword in his hand, willing to cause blood. He goes on to say, I can't worship a diaper-wearing, halo-wearing hippie because I can't worship somebody that I can beat up. I can't... Never mind the fact that that's not what, relation, what revelation is all about. Never mind the fact that, yeah, he shows up with a, with a sword, but it's not in his hand, it's in his mouth to speak truth. Never mind the fact that, yes, he shows up in Revelation with a, a robe soaked in blood, but it was to be in the face of the Roman image where the conquering king goes and slays his enemy and comes back with the blood of his enemy on his robe. In Revelation, it turns it upside down. It's an augmented reality because this lamb of God goes and comes back with a soaked robe of blood, but it's his blood because he shows the strength of sacrificing himself and not conquering the other. Never mind all of that. I simply want to ask you, show the picture again, Graham. What do you see when you see this? Is it strength or is it weakness? Because when I look upon the face of the crucified Lord, I mean, just look for a moment. I see the face of a woman who just buried her child. I see in the anguished, forsaken, exhausted face of our Lord. I see the face of a patient whose doctor just said the treatment is not working. 
I look at the face of our Lord there, completely riddled by injury. And I see the face of a man who just learned his wife has been cheating on him and he had no idea. I see in his face the faces of Ethiopians living in the north of the country in the Tigrat region who are running for their lives because there is civil unrest and war and acts of violence and rape and murder happening even right now as we worship. I see their faces of desperation right there in the face of that one. I see the faces of Israeli and Palestinian children who don't know what has happened to the world they knew. And I I look at that face and I see I see me. I see every sin I've ever committed. I see every regret that I've ever had. And when I think about the possibility that the God we're worshiping is the God who refused to stay distant from that kind of pain and brokenness, when I see that this God is a God who refused to not be in solidarity with us in our suffering, I want to fall to my knees and worship because I can't think of anything stronger than that. I can't think of any demonstration of power more beautiful than the power that is seen in that weakness. The message of the cross is foolishness to the wise. It's a stumbling block to those who think they are strong. I I, I see him hanging upon the cross and fix my eyes upon him and realize the cross really is the augmented reality of the world because this is the kind of God who calls us into solidarity with the divine. If you were to read in 2 Corinthians, you'd hear these words right here. He made him to become sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. When I think of that as the nature of God, if that is the nature of God, who would stoop so low to raise up those of us who are in the mire, in the dregs, then I can understand why Paul would say, I want to be in the dregs with him. So Paul speaks to these Corinthian Christians and says, look, some of you, you're stressing me out because you're becoming arrogant. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You think that reality is you've got to fight and compete and climb and contend and compare with each other and, and divide up against who's with me and who's against me. You are driving me crazy, Paul would say to the Corinthians, because you have become arrogant and have assumed that reality means that you yourself have all and that everyone else is here to serve you. And he picks up these words in chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to these words. He says, we are fools for the sake of Christ. But then he gets really sarcastic. In Greek, it's a sarcasm, truly. But you're wise in Christ. I mean, we are weak, but you are strong. You're held in honor. We in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirsty and and are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. and, And we grow weary from the work of our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we speak kindly. We have become like rubbish of the world, the dregs 
of all things to this very day. And if this is where Christ is found among the least and among the lowliest, then Paul's like, this is where we belong. In order to partner with Christ in bringing the good news of life and resurrection and hope to those who've assumed that there is none. Now, Paul would have never used the word augmented reality, but he did use another word. He called it the mind of Christ. The cross augments reality. It, it turns it upside down, but Paul refers to it as the mind of Christ. He says, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mindset you have been called to a Christ consciousness where you live in such a way as to have been shaped by the cross that paid your salvation. The mind of Christ. And the fact is, beloved sisters and brothers, Christ didn't simply demonstrate his greatest power upon the cross. Christ lived the cruciform life all the way up to the cross. Because Christ was constantly reducing himself, pouring out his privileges, emptying out his own rights to find solidarity with the forgotten and the lowest and the loneliest. He was constantly bringing from the edges to the very center of the consciousness of all the powers that be the very ones who were suffering the most. And Christ was making his own home among sinners drunkards, prostitutes, tax collectors, and was accused of being among the dregs of society because God seemed, in God's good wisdom, to assume that maybe that's where we are found the most vulnerable and the most authentic. And God doesn't come for those who are healthy and well, but comes for the sick and those who are willing to confess their sickness and their need for a physician. So Paul says, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And in Philippians, in the second chapter of Philippians, we heard in the traditional service today a gorgeous interpretation musically of this passage of Scripture. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 is actually an old hymn that was already being used in churches when Paul wrote Philippians. And he reaches over and he cuts and pastes into his letter to the Philippians a hymn that has this language in it. Pay attention to the gorgeous language of descent. He says, beginning in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And here's the word. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the same augmented reality be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But watch the, I'm going to call them gradations of descent. Watch this. He was in the form of God, but didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But instead, watch what he did. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being found or being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
See how far down into the dregs God was willing to go for you and me. And because he was willing to empty himself out, watch what God does to alter reality. Verse 9, therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pay attention to the degrees of descent because the degree to which you are willing to empty out your life is the degree to which God is willing to fill it. The degree to which you are willing to lay down your life is the degree to which God is willing to raise it up. This is the theme that is weaved all through Scripture. In Matthew 23, we hear it put this way, All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And in James chapter 4, we hear it put this way, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the upside-down, inside-out, augmented reality of the cross. When you lay your life down, God raises it up. And my question to you, my sisters and brothers, are you willing to allow the cross of Jesus to augment your reality? To give you a brand new way to view and do your life because all that it requires is everything everything in you and everything around you all it requires is the humility of heart and mind to lay down your life before him and say i cannot be the lord of my own life so i yield to the one whose strength is made perfect in my weakness What I love about the Philippians passage is it says mind, have the same mind in you, but in Greek it's phreneo, which means the core, the center of you, the center of your being, which is really your heart. So to be a person of the cross is really about a change of heart. Are you willing today to take on a cruciform posture, to lay your life open vulnerably vulnerably before the God who knows what to do with it. If so, then then maybe wherever you are, this is the kind of prayer that you pray. Because sometimes we get in this place and we don't know what to do with it. We want to move forward in Christ, but we don't exactly know how to take the first step. And here's the first step. Borrow these words. Make them the prayer of your heart. God, I stop pretending today. I close my eyes to the reality of the world so that when I open them, you, through your cross, can augment my reality and show me where you are and show me what you require. I humble myself. I repent of all of my sins and I ask that you would renew me from the inside out and I will follow you. Take me now, Lord, in Christ I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed a prayer like that or you felt some sense of solidarity with those words, you need to understand that the Spirit of Christ who knows you receives you. But we want to know about that and we want to come alongside you to help you take your next step in whatever it means in following Christ. 
So if you prayed that prayer today, then at the end of our service, when we are concluded and the benediction has been spoken, we ask that you would make your way to a particular part of the worship area. In the sanctuary, you'll see one of our pastors, David White, is here waiting to talk to you after service. In the Family Life Center, if you look to your left, you'll see one of our pastors, Michael McCullough, should be there and will receive and listen to you and pray with you. And if you're online, we want you to email us because we take seriously any desire that you have to follow Jesus more closely. So email us at connect at jcbc.org and we will meet you where you are. But now, for all of us, we've come to the moment in worship when it is time for us to scatter empowered in this world. If you'll stand to your feet and prepare for the benediction, both here and in the Family Life Center, now is the time we scatter to live in the world as if we actually believe what we have affirmed in this place. So as you go, may the, may the Christ who is in you go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in peace.